me go over and check uh, check that Twitter thing there. Twitter? Oh my God, I'm on Twitter, guys. And me, I don't yeah, of course need to I, deal with you. Of course I am on Twitter. And so, uh, and of course, you guys who are watching on Twitter, you might notice that there's like a tip thing on my thing. So if you want to throw shekels at me over there, I try to make it easy for people to throw shekels at me because I don't want you to work very hard. It's really, that's the only reason I do it. It's not because I'm greedy or anything like that. I just try to make your life easier because that's why I'm here. You know what I mean? Sort of the whole point is to make your life easier. And, uh, and by the way, in the, uh, in the process of trying to make your life easier, I should let you know that somebody's trying to make your life more difficult. If you're trying to get my emails, um, there's somebody over at that Gmail place who tried to make that very hard for you. And by the way, if you're in, you've been on Microsoft email for some ridiculous reason, it's been doing that the whole time. Go into your spam folder. Go into your spam folder and find everything from Christopher Cantwell and Surreal Politics and tell Google or Microsoft or whoever's doing it, tell them it's not spam because it's not. I have never been a spammer. I have never. Everybody who uh, signs up for my email list has a double opt-in and there's a one-click unsubscribe. So anybody who reports my stuff as spam is, is a lying criminal who's defaming me. But of course, they don't help you figure those things out because there were a bunch of crooks over there. So anyway... Now that we have all of this figured out, why don't I go ahead and play some intro music? Or you know what I should probably do first? Now that I have all the streaming working, I should probably start recording video. And then, once the video is recording, once the video is recording, then I tell you that this is Surreal Politics Stage 1, Episode 12, Pride and the Real Politik of Free Speech. Welcome to this uh, 12th episode of the first stage of Surreal Politics. Real Politik in an unreal world, as we like to say over here. I should probably turn that mic down a little bit so I can raise my voice. If I'm being very quiet, i got to keep the mic down. But if I want to raise my voice, then i got to turn the, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a contest between me and, the, uh, me and the audio equipment always. And anyway, so as I was saying, um, welcome to this 12th episode of the first stage of Surreal Politics, Real Politik in an unreal world world as we like to say and uh this 12th episode i have titled pride and the real politique of free speech there's a couple of stories in the news recently that uh, give me an opportunity to talk about a couple of things that i some of them i've been saying for a while 
and others, they, they feed into, I guess, you know, you could say the, the main theme of the show. Freedom of speech is axiomatic to most Americans. They reflexively say they support it, whether they actually believe this or not. It is sort of understood as a cultural matter that there are few ways to more rapidly make a pariah of oneself than to renounce this central feature of the American psyche. Nobody actually supports free speech, though. We all have our limits. I mean, how many of you think that um, male enhancement products should be advertised at your kid's school, right? I mean, do you think that um, Nigerian email high-yield investment programs should be um, pervade all throughout the Internet without any sort of inhibition whatsoever? I doubt that you believe that. And so everybody has their limits, and the most comical people in American politics, consequently, are not the sense-of-happy PC crooks who ruin everything that they get anywhere near. It's the free speech absolutists who are occasionally compelled to confront the contradictions of their own utopian fiction. Though this is surely due in some part to the fact that it is increasingly difficult to find the menace of leftism humorous, right? While the, uh, the naivete of well-intentioned free speech advocates, it still manages to pass for cute in a sense, dangerous though it may be. And as I said, you know, this is one of those areas that best illustrate the point I made at the beginning of this production. I said this in episode one, the introduction to the show. The left, disconnected though they may be from reality, make better assessments of the political battlefield than what passes for the right these days in America. For the left, the capacity to stifle their political opponents is axiomatically evidence that they should do it. The idea that they might forego the opportunity to expand their power is preposterous to them, and understandably so. The only answer you hear to the right on this is free speech. This is not only far from reciprocal, it's silly at best. The right used to understand that free speech is supposed to be a means by which men of good character say what they believe to be true and engage in discussion to discover error. It is not contra-popular superstition, the right to host a drag queen story hour at a public school for kids. William F. Buckley is common credited, commonly credited with being like the, uh, the founder of the modern conservative movement. A lot of people view him that way. There's dispute about that, but it is a very common thing to believe that in any case. Hang on one second. It's a very common thing to say that William F. Buckley is the, uh, the founder of the uh, modern American conservative movement. And so he understood this. He wrote a book titled God and Man at Yale, and this was published in 1951. And the subheading of this was The Superstitions of Academic Freedom. Buckley had become quite frustrated with his alma mater's habit of denigrating religion and promoting communism. He thought it preposterous that a prestigious university would platform such harmful ideological poison, and he called on his fellow alumni to pressure them to stop it. That Buckley and his cohort failed to stop Yale from doing this has led to the state of affairs we see today. The left had freedom of speech. The right gave it to them. The left used it, and when the left gained power, they used it to crush the right. Such is the product of freedom of speech. Now you can teach kids about deviant sex acts, but you can't criticize those teaching it. That's freedom of speech as practiced in America today. 
had people listened to Buckley 72 years ago, we wouldn't be dealing with Pride Month today. Happy Pride Month, everybody, by the way, right? We uh, we teased this a little bit um, prior, uh, and it is it is finally here. I know you guys wait for this all year, Pride Month. It's a, it's a very special time of year when we take the most shameful thing imaginable and uh, and we dedicate an entire month to one of the seven deadly sins to celebrate it. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? And on a prior, on another production, um, on another production, I failed to read. I, I titled this other production, this uh, episode of it. Um, I, I this episode I had titled "Goeth Before Destruction," and one of the things I meant to do on that show was to actually read this uh, this Bible passage which says that pride goeth before destruction, right? And I neglected to do that. So why don't I go ahead and do this in celebration of Pride Month because we wouldn't want to let Pride Month go by without haughty celebration. Preparations, this is Proverbs 16 is where this comes from. Preparations of the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Everyone that is proud in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be punished. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies be at peace at him, with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart deviseth his own way, but the Lord directeth his steps. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth, transgresseth not in judgment. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weight of the bag are his work. It is an abomination to the king to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather than to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of humble Better it is to be an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handeth a matter, he that handleth a matter wisely. I'm sorry, I'm reading the King James version because it sounds cooler to read. I haven't been reading it out loud though, so I kind of like stumble on this like oldie time English. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. 
but the instruction of the fools is folly. I think we've more or less gone through the proud stuff, okay? You see, they kind of like, they get at that pride thing a few times here, you know? And of course, when you make the, like, the gay celebration, it has to be like thrown right in God's face. And I'm not, you might know, I think you know, and, you know, as long as I'm like soliciting money from you on the internet, I should like inform you. I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a religious guy. I'm not trying to try to convince you of this, by the way. I just think it's really interesting that these things um, are always so contrary to the uh, to biblical teaching, right? And it's not because, uh, as some people would have you believe, of course, it's not because um, these people are right and the Bible is wrong. It's because these people are religious fanatics. They believe in God and they are at war with him. That's what I genuinely believe. That you could not, if you just like went about your life, if you were just a scumbag, right? If you were just a loser and you were just running around doing whatever you wanted to do and you were not particularly concerned with what God had to say, I don't think that you could this consistently run afoul of the Bible, right? I don't think you could do that like by accident, even if you were just a person of bad character. You would occasionally just, you know, get along, you know, just the pressures of the world would be like, okay, you know, I'm not going to be at friction with the Bible today. But when you're like, no, 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 you know what I do? Not only do I lay with man as uh, man lay with woman, I dedicate an entire month to pride over it, you know. And these are, I mean, there's, you know, millions of examples of this, of course. And people who understand the Bible better than me, um, they certainly understand that uh, even better than I do. I don't think that you could accidentally uh, do this. And so that is the product of this like free speech absolutist nonsense that we have. And I had a there were a couple of good examples of this kind of came up recently. So the one I'll play a clip for you real quick. I, I, I thought it was very amusing that um, Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy is actually how you pronounce that. I found out not so long ago. He went on. Uh, he went on Jesse Waters uh, months ago, and he was like, uh, "I guess Jesse asked him how to pronounce it, and, and Jesse said Vivek like steak. Vivek like steak. Apparently, that's how he told Jesse to pronounce it. Of course, very few people do that. He's Vivek to everybody, but apparently, you're supposed to pronounce it Vivek. And so Vivek Ramaswamy, um, he went on CNBC, and he had this to say about Ron DeSantis." Uh, signing what Vivek Ramaswamy called a hate speech bill. Whole premise of this discussion is predicated on the fact that Twitter is the forum, is one of the main forums for open public discourse and debate today. It is one of, one of the reasons I love this program is that people with diverse views can come together and exchange those views. We have lost those sacred spaces. Say what you will about Twitter. It is one of those few spaces on the internet today where people are still able to engage in dialogue outside of their echo chambers. Come back to your question, though. Pelosi is very dangerous. If you look at the Capitol, Washington Post put out a story yesterday about how the Capitol Police watched this break-in, or would have if anybody was monitoring the cameras. The stuff that was said about him it definitely leads to additional violence. And you can say this. I'm not saying this just about yeah. the Democrats. This is definitely a situation where Republicans have been put in this position. We're going to have Sc uh, Scalise on, who was shot. 
He's going to of course. To us about these so, so this is, is but Becky, the only thing I will tell you is this is not unique to this moment. We have been having this debate in this country since 1776, since 1789. This is the fundamental American debate. It is the bargain of free speech in our country. All right, free speech is not intended for the speech we love. It is intended for the speech that we do but not it love. Should not without be it, it's not a free speech country. You can have your opinions, but saying that things are facts are dangerous. So here's here's my view on this. If you're going to take down false speech, the company bears the burden of proof to demonstrate that it was actually false. Because free speech is not a liberal arts luxury. So the pursuit of truth depends on it. The pursuit of truth depends on it. In all situations, you can have an opinion, but there are certainly facts in certain cases. To be able to say whatever garbage you want until you are proven otherwise is not what you're So, Becky, you'll take a look at the debates around closing schools. There were people who were censored on YouTube, on other social media channels, for making the arguments against school closures. Now we look back and say that, that were, those are probably policies that we regret. I believe we would have gotten to the right answers sooner if we had not censored those views. And so I don't think that that clip is too offensive. But what he says here, he's like um, he's he's subsequently gone on to a bunch of things. It's like I'm an American nationalist. And as an American nationalist, I'm a free speech absolutist, yada, 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 yada. Well, he doesn't believe that. Nobody does. Now, I, I talked to you not so long ago. I forget if it was on this production or another one that Vivek Ramaswamy is actually scheduled as a featured speaker at an event that's coming up very soon. Um, I don't have the dates off the top of my head, but it's this month, is the Porcupine Freedom Festival in Lancaster, New Hampshire. Yeah, we talked about it on here. It was definitely on this one. We had the we had the gentleman on from the Liberty Plus thing that we had that like that fun at the end or whatever. Um, and so <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah is trending on Twitter. This is wonderful for Pride Month. Um, and so, uh, and so... The uh, he's running around saying that he's a free speech absolutist and he's about to go speak at this event where it's just been um, it has been officially announced now that they're going to have the drag queen story hour at this porcupine freedom festival in Lancaster, New Hampshire this month. And Vivek Ramaswamy is a is a featured speaker there. And I've been tweeting at him trying to get his attention like, hey, here's the here's the evidence that there's going to be this uh, drag queen story hour there. Are you going to go there? Well, I hope that he's going to insist, like, no, like, no, you can't have, I'm not going to go promote your drag queen story hour. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an American nationalist. That means, like, I care about my nation, and I don't want it to turn into a bunch of drag queens, right? We shall see. But he's been going on, and he's saying that, um, you know, it should be free speech absolute. And the other, the other thing that came up, I actually, I spent a few hours, like, listening to Twitter spaces last night. Because apparently there was like, uh, there was a controversy. If you know Twitter, as a matter of fact, he's got this community note on his tweet right here. This this um, thing where he said Ron DeSantis signed a hate speech bill is actually part of the controversy. So apparently the DeSantis team has been like infiltrating the, the Twitter spaces function. Um, not the Twitter spaces, the... Twitter community notes function, all right? Now, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with community notes, if you were banned before they started doing that and you haven't uh, kept up with the story, um, what they started doing was, like, in, in response to the whole disinformation hysteria was, okay, we'll have sort of like a group of people who are approved according to a set of criteria who get to put contextual notes on tweets, okay? And, okay, you could see that happening. And it's been put to good use a few times. Like, there was that situation where this group of, like, black teenagers <laughs> said a white pregnant woman stole their bike, you know. And because Twitter's full of stupid people, apparently there were enough 
people who believed that or were just dishonest enough to lie for this story to get around as if like white pregnant women were in the habit of robbing gangs of black teenagers because that was apparently a believable story if you're a Democrat. And so they were like, you know, Karen turn around, just, just strong arming them black boys. And so um, this was one example of where the community notes feature was put to good use. And they said, hey, as a matter of fact, um, <laughs> you know, they didn't say that this is facially preposterous, which is the only thing, the only appropriate response to the story, of course. But they did put in like, oh, the woman produced the receipts and stuff like this. And so sometimes it gets put to good use in any case. But apparently what happened, and the reason it's been put to good use is because, you know, you basically had Elon Musk came in there and was like, OK, all you communists, um, you're not going to run the platform anymore. And as soon as they stopped rigging it against conservatives, then, you know, conservatives or Republicans or right wingers, however you want to phrase it. I know there's people who are like conservatives. Are, ah, I get it. I get it. I get it. But, you know. Those of the right in America are now allowed to like actually like participate in Twitter as full participants. And as soon as you stop disadvantaging them, they you know, they're better people and they tend to excel. And it's kind of how things work. Right. And so, yeah, you have, you know, right of center people now managing the Twitter notes, the, the Twitter community notes thing. Except that a lot of those right of center people, it turns out, work for the DeSantis campaign. Hmm, and what do you think happens? Okay, so like people who criticize Ron DeSantis, they get a community note, right? They get a community note if they um, if they're if Donald Trump is uh, saying something that the DeSantis campaign says is false. And one of the things I actually listened to last night was pretty funny. They had this guy come in to this, uh, you know, Twitter Spaces is sort of like a conference call that people can listen in on, and the host can you know turn people's mics on and off, or whatever, right? Um, it's audio only. It's not video. And it's apparently a very popular feature. I've listened to a few different spaces with a few different people. And so last night, the, I went into this thing. The, the host was a Twitter user by the name of Khaleesi. And it seemed like they had some people who were in actually like professionally involved in Twitter. I, I'm not it wasn't entirely clear to me their capacity. They had the CEO, CEO of Rumble came on and they had people who were involved in like the management of the community notes feature. And one of the people who was managing the community notes feature was a guy who literally worked for Ron DeSantis. <laughs> and they asked him, they were like, OK, there was this um, there was this tweet that said that the Ron DeSantis campaign bus broke down and you applied this note that said, no, it wasn't that the, the bus broke down. It was that they had stopped and they had um, opened the uh, the under the cargo area in order to get cargo out. And so they said, what's your source on that? Because you didn't you didn't add a source. You just said that it was wrong. He's like, oh, well, I got it from the campaign. <laughs> OK, so the Ron DeSantis campaign says, hey, that guy's not telling the truth. You better go correct him. And then they get, you know, a community note blasted on them. Right. Well, you could see the problem with that. Right. <laughs> People are like, hey, wait a second. Um. I'm really glad that it's not the Biden campaign. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want you rigging a primary either. What are you talking about? And, you know, there's an argument to be made that this is less harmful altogether because, you know, a, a community note is different than banning you from Twitter. And so, you know, you could say that this is an upgrade, no doubt about it. But the thing that's brought up is that like, OK, you're a Twitter user who's not engaged in all of this stuff. You don't know the 
the motives of the people who are running the platform. And what you see is like a fact check on this person's tweet. Well, what you're doing is you're you're giving the impression that that person's dishonest, right? And that is not without consequence, of course. And it also stands the potential to have there. They didn't discuss it last night, but I mean, I imagine it has the potential to punish you algorithmically. Your 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 distribution on the platform has the capacity to suffer as a consequence of this. And so there is this like whole big conversation of like, well, how can we how can we guarantee that the Twitter community notes will be neutral and how can we guarantee that it'll be, uh, you know, free speech and stuff like this? And I was tempted to, I, I actually raised my hand at one point. They didn't bring me on. I, I, it was towards the end of the thing. I don't know if they were just like screw Chris Cantwell or if it was something else. But um, they didn't bring me on. But what, what I was going to say is like, you guys are trying to do something that's fundamentally impossible. Like all you can hope to do is understand the bias. You can't, there's no turning this off, right? This is a thing that stands to like earn a person political advantage and the idea that you're just going to have a, a bunch of new, neutral arbiters doing it is ridiculous. You can either have Trump people go in there. You can have DeSantis people go in there. You can have Biden people go in there. You can have them get together, identify themselves, and be part of a council where they all have to like come to some you know measure of agreement. But you can't just be like, okay, we don't, uh, the only people that we're going to have in here are politically neutral people because that will result in a bunch of dishonest people there, right? You ever like you ever ask people like, are you a Republican or a Democrat or what? What are your political views? And people are like, well, I don't have political views. There are contexts where you might believe that. Right. <laughs> but like I uh, I was in a situation where I had to ask um, I had a public defender once. Right. And I asked the public defender, I said, are you uh, are you a Republican or a Democrat? He's like, oh, I'm not. That's irrelevant. I'm like, oh, my God, you're a Democrat. Right. <laughs> If you're a Republican, you would understand why it's relevant that you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat, you're used to lying to people, right? You're like, why would you care about my politics, <laughs> right? Well, I wouldn't want to answer that question because that might help you discern my motives and that would make it more difficult for me to steal, you know? And so, you know, he assured me subsequent that he wasn't some left-wing fanatic, but, you know, I didn't take him for a, a right-winger either. Uh, number to call in is 217-688-1433 if you would like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please give us a call. And so, you know, the, 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 the conclusion that I reached in the course of this is like, okay, these people haven't really figured, figured out fundamentally what the game is, right? They, they don't understand what the contact, contest is. And let me tell you what it is, right? Like, the whole entire point, of, I mean, I shouldn't say the whole entire point because you could say that about a lot of things. But a very substantial portion of the contest in politics is to, like, make your opponent's ideas unacceptable in conversation, right? The, the idea is to make your opinion the normal, right? That's why Democrats say that their, I, their opinions are not opinions. That's why disagreeing with a Democrat is disinformation. That's why you're not you're not you're not wrong you're spreading a conspiracy theory they have to categorize what you're saying in a way that makes it out outside the realm of uh, it, it's not part of the conversation you're outside the boundaries of polite discussion it's like um i don't know if you're like arm you ever arm wrestle right like you you don't just you know you're not just trying to do it with your arm you're doing it with your wrist you know you're trying to gain you know leverage and I feel like 
I, I feel like the, 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 the right sometimes is like, hey, stop using your wrist. <laughs> you know, they're like, stop doing it that way. Let's do it this way. And I'm like, no, like that's actually part of the contest, dude. Like <laughs> I understand that it's more difficult and that's why you have to, you know, step up and, and, and come to the moment, right? Because these people are trying to leverage their power. And, and then when they have their power, they use their power to gain more power, okay? When you have power, part of the purpose of having the power is to get dug in and entrenched. Like, that's political power. If you have political power and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be in power for two years. <laughs> like, no, that's absolutely not the, the purpose of the contest. You have political power, and then you use that political power to, like, make it difficult for people to challenge your power. And one of the things that you can do in the course of that is to, like, censor your opponents, right? And so when, when Vivek Ramaswamy posted this thing, and he's like, we need, you know, no, less speech, more speech, yeah. Well, I posted, you ever seen that meme? It's like, it's like uh, broke, woke, bespoke, I think is the, the theme behind it, where you have this, like, you have three you know, brains, one is like dim and the other one has like a, a little bit of a light in it. And then the third is this is like glowing aura, right? And so the first one is censor the right. Okay, you're a dummy. Get out of here. You don't censor the right. That's preposterous. And then and then the and then the slightly lit one is freedom of speech, right? But the third one, the glowing aura is censor the left. Like of course, you know. I disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the right. I'll defend to the death your right to have me censored. Like, no, like this is exactly what they're going to do. They're going to say, hey, I have freedom of speech. And then you say, well, I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Then they're like, okay, you go ahead and do that, stupid. Right. And then while you're running around defending to the death their right to say things, they're running around molesting your children, right? And then it, and then they molest your children, and then your children are damaged, and then because they're damaged, they vote Democrat because, you know, you have to damage people to get them to go along with this stuff, right? And so they've been doing this for, you know, a long time, and there's a lot of damaged people, and so there's a lot of Democrats now, you might have gathered. And so now that there's all of these very damaged people, they're like, you can't hurt my feelings, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can definitely hurt your feelings. I have a constitution. Didn't they teach you that in history class? No, I was raised by one of these, like, lunatic damaged people who was molested by some other fanatic, right? When you were letting them run around, you know, passing their child molestation off as free speech, this is what, what the process is, right? And so now they're like, well, no, as a matter of fact, like, I'm living a lie. And if you take my lie away from me, like, you're... It's violence. You're 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 taking my life away. My life is a lie and you won't let me lie. Like you're you're kind of killing me in a sense if you think about it. And it, it, the, the argument's actually not entirely without merit. The, the truth of the matter is. It's, you know, kind of like a roundabout thing and I don't think that they should be able to do it, but you know, you think about what would happen to certain groups of people if everybody actually knew what was going on. Like, it, there would be very bad things that would happen to a lot of different groups, you know? And so they're like, hey, wait a second, what you're saying is violence. And so we're not going to let you say it. And you're like, I, what I'm saying is not violence. I am not advocating violence. I haven't said anything about violence. I just don't think that it's a good idea to let people use drugs in the street and open the borders and, uh, you know, whatever other complaint that you have and 
your capacity to identify who's doing it, okay? And they're like, yeah, but if you say that, there's like a, a third and fourth order effect of, of what you're saying. And the ultimate result of that is government policy will, will be compulsively imposed upon certain people to their disadvantage. And you're like, yeah, I understand that, you know, government is, you know, force is fundamentally how this works. And that's what you've been doing to us the whole time. So, like, that's the contest. And it's your turn to lose. And they're like, that's not the way it works. You know, we don't lose. That's not what we do. You lose all the time. We understand. We appreciate that about you. As a matter of fact, we love that you're willing to lose. We think that that's like the greatest feature of you. And that's why we don't that's why we don't kill you, really. But we we don't we don't do that. And if you start winning, well, then, you know, this whole not killing you thing, it just might have to come to a conclusion. That's what Democrats say. I'm not uh, you. You should you probably understand that from the context. But somebody's going to say that I'm talking about killing people and I'm not. I'm saying that Democrats are dangerous, evil monsters, right? They're leftists and they kill people. I mean, they've been doing it for, you know, hundreds of years. And so, um, yeah, they'll, they're like, we're not going to allow that to happen. And so as soon as you start saying things that are, you know, a threat to their power, they're like, well, wait a second. If anybody finds out what we're doing, we're dead. So, like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna squash you. We're not going to let that happen. And then conservatives are like, no, we need to have free speech absolutism, don't you know? And it was, and it results in these things that are like people are like, oh well, you know, there's this famously David French. You might have heard of this, where he said he was in a he was in a debate with Sorab Omari, and he's like, and he's like, well, you know, drag queen story hour is one of the blessings of liberty. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that's exactly what the founding fathers had in mind, don't you know? The founding fathers were like, I can't wait until they're putting on women's clothing and reading, you know, pornography to kids in schools, like. God bless America, gentlemen, you know. I don't think that that's what they were thinking about at all, matter of fact. And uh, and the, and the idea that anybody does believe that is kind of preposterous, right? And I don't think that honest people do. There's, you know, there's dumb people, yeah, you, you could strictly speak and call them honest. There's definitely dishonest people who are like, well, wait a second. When we were banning you from Twitter, you kept talking about freedom of speech, and now we're trying to push pornography in your public schools, and you're trying to stop us. You guys are book burners. You're Nazis. And a, and a conservative, a lot of them, I mean, there's more and more of them. I'm not saying a lot of them, but like conservatives more and more are like they're adopting sort of something that I said a long time ago, which is, you know, you keep calling everybody Nazi, and eventually you might just be right, pal. So you better, you better comment with the Nazi stuff, because... Like, if you explain to people what book burning is, and they're like, oh, wait a second, Magnus Hirschfeld? Oh, I get it now. So book burning is what happens when we stop you from ruining the country. Oh, okay. I always thought I always thought book burning was what you were doing when you were banning everybody from Twitter and Amazon and Facebook and trying to punish people artificially and 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 fictitiously in Google. I thought book burning was when you took over Wikipedia. Oh, no. Book burning is when you start peddling pornography to children and we're like, hey, cut it out. All right. And you put it that way. I don't have a problem with book burning, actually. You tell me that enough times and I might just go ahead and get along with that idea. And I certainly did that a long time ago. I'm glad that you've joined me. 
217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Um, conservatives' acceptance of viewpoint neutrality will only hasten America's demise. This is a story in the American mind. I read to you a piece from the American mind not so long ago. I was looking for the, uh, I was looking for the David French thing, <clears throat> which happened before 2020. Um, and I found this um, piece that was published. As a matter of fact, it was the day that I regained Internet access, I think, November 16th, 2022. And this is by Ben Crenshaw over at American Mind. Conservatives' acceptance of viewpoint neutrality will only hasten America's demise, is the article over at um, American Mind. Though Drag Queen Story Hour events at local libraries are presented as innocuous, family-friendly gatherings that help elevate historically oppressed sexual minorities, their real purpose is deliberately subversive. Quote, the drag queen might appear as a comic figure, Chris Rufo writes in a recent expose in City Journal. But he carries an utterly serious message. The deconstruction of sex, the reconstruction of child sexuality, and the subversion of middle-class family life. According to queer queer theory advocate Gail Rubin, the traditional concepts of sex and gender were mythologies constructed by powerful heteronormative forces that sought to persecute those with non-conforming sexual orientations, explains Rufo. By combining a metaphysic that denied that sex, gender, and marriage were unchanging essences and an oppressor-oppressed binary, Rubin hoped to turn traditional sexual norms on their head. In her book, Gender Trouble, Judith Butler continued Rubin's postmodern project by adding the concept of performativity as a mechanism of social change. Once gender's malleability was established by calling its very reality into question, gender performance through cross-dressing, transvestitism, and transgenderism intentionally blurred the lines between the real and unreal, moral and immoral, acceptable and unacceptable. Once drag ideology gained a foothold in the academy, drag advocates, according to Rufo, sought to rebrand drag performances as a family-friendly educational story hours in local libraries. But Drag Queen Story Hour actually created a new childhood paedia. All right, the, the word that I'm failing to read out loud here is P-A-I-D-E-I-A, okay? The stimulation of queer imagination among children that would teach them queer ways of knowing and being and disrupt the so-called oppressive bourgeois norms their parents had taught them. As Rufo explains, the goal was not to reinforce the biological family, but to facilitate the child's transition into the ideological family. Drag Queen Story Hour seeks to destroy childhood innocence and introduce the most demonic forms of sexual perversion into public life, pedophilia, incest, bestiality, necrophilia, race fetishism, and prostitution. And he has a subheading here, the conservative case for drag. Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, those conservatives love that drag queen story hour stuff because you're too far right and the conservatives are not cool anymore. So you're like, yeah, that's right. There is a conservative case for drag queen story hour, which is why those conservatives are a bunch of kosher cocks, right? It's like, but I'm pretty sure that you understand that writing at the American mind, he's got conservative and scare quotes because he's pointing out that, like, there's not a conservative case 
for drag queen story hour and David French and people like him who say otherwise are, are stupid or dishonest, okay, is kind of the idea. Rufo's journalistic endeavors help cast a new light on the conservative kerfluffle over Drag Queen Story Hour. In a now infamous comment during a debate with Sorab Omari, political commentator David French called Drag Queen Story Hour one of those blessings of liberty. (laughs) How did he propose handling Drag Queen Story Hour going forward? By holding fast to viewpoint neutrality, a term stemming from 20th century Supreme Court rulings that redefined prior free speech and obscenity jurisprudence. Handle bad speech with better speech. Counter bad speakers in the marketplace of ideas, not through the heavy hand of government censorship, said French. Yet Rufo's revelation that Drag Queen Story Hour is a brazen attempt to overthrow the foundations of the created, or, uh, of the created order, I should say, shows that French's advice is naive at best. Drag Queen Story Hour is the rotten fruit of licentiousness, the manifestation of a disordered conception of the public good and a sign of a weak government that no longer has the will to pursue good and punish evil. Unfortunately, David French isn't the only one to get hoodwinked into accepting liberal 20th century Supreme Court rulings. In his recent book, The Religion of America's Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism?, Paul D. Miller calls for a qualified embrace of neutrality. Miller argues that to preemptively deny uh, drag queens access to public facilities is an attack on their beliefs and identities. Well, imagine that. Why? We wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) Um, It's an attack on their beliefs and identities, which is kind of the whole point, but that's not what the author says. Which is unfair and unjust, says, uh, says Mr. Crenshaw. It's unfair and unjust to say that we're attacking their beliefs and identities because we would never do that. We're conservatives. We don't do that sort of thing, okay? We're not attacking anybody. We just want them to stop molesting the children. Well, how do you think you get them to do that, Mr. Crenshaw? Well, you know, let's figure, see if you figure it out before the story's over. Probably not, I'm thinking. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, which is unfair and unjust. Drag queens are people too, and no matter our views on their sexuality, they are tax-paying citizens and deserve equal treatment under the law and thus equal access to public resources, he writes. Are you sure these people are paying taxes? Do you think that they're very productive citizens? What do you think their uh what do you think their top tax rate is? What do you think? Do you think they might be net tax beneficiaries? Do you think they might be net recipients? Probably gonna say you know, there's probably a lot of, like, rich cross-dressers, right? There's probably a lot of really rich people. They're probably all the same ethnic group, you know. But I think that most transgender people, most drag queens, are probably thieving, degenerate, drug addict prostitutes. And I don't think that they probably pay a great deal in taxes. I think they probably get food stamps, and then I think that they go out on the street, and they prostitute themselves, and, and then they still beg for money. And the whole time, they're like, I'm just trying to get, uh, can I, I just need some food, right? I just went through this the other day. Uh, no, or the, no, earlier. I, I went out. I took an Uber somewhere. And uh, uh, whatever. I'm not going to talk about the homeless people in New Hampshire. It's, it's ridiculous. People come up to me, they're like, yeah, I need to, can I, sir, can you spare a couple dollars so I get something to eat? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, I don't care, no. And, like, I have to resist the urge not to tell them off. I'm like, I know you have a food stamp card, right? Like, I know that you're fed. I know that not only you get, you get, the government gives you money to buy food. 
and then you go to like soup kitchens and these charitable things that give you food. And then you come here and you ask me for money to buy food because I see the needle caps all over the park. I'm not doing it. And as a guy who moved to New Hampshire in 2012, it wasn't like this then. I've sort of like watched this thing decline and I wasn't here for a little while, you might have heard. And like I saw it like, whoo, it went down really fast. and I'm really upset about it. But that's a whole nother story. But Miller's argument for public neutrality is shallow and confused. For example, in listing the ways in which government cannot be neutral, Miller cites human sexuality. Neutrality between opposing conceptions of human personhood and human sexuality is impossible. He continues, the state cannot be neutral uh, between the belief that human sexuality is fixed, objective, and set by nature, and the belief that sexuality is malleable and socially constructed. Yet, as Rufo demonstrates, the latter view is what drag queen ideology explicitly embraces. For Miller, how is government supposed to be neutral on Drag Queen Story Hour, which is meant to normalize deviant behavior, while at the same time not be neutral on human sexuality? For local government to permit Drag Queen Story Hour at libraries is to tacitly give it a stamp of public approval. Government cannot do both consistently. Miller cannot have it both ways. Rufo's reporting reveals the imprudence of French and Miller's approach. Drag Queen Story Hour began with voluntary programs at public libraries, which are required by law to provide equal access to organizations regardless of political affiliation or ideology, Rufo uh, argues. But within a few years, those state-neutral events have turned into state-subsidized drag performances for children. Drag Queen Story Hour is a sexual conquistador bent on replacing America's long-held Christian understanding of created sex differences, public decency, and heterosexual marriage. French and Miller are unwitting but zealous foot soldiers for the coming full-scale implementation of cultural sexual degeneracy. They are Stephen A. Douglases of our era, peddling a counterfeit political philosophy of neoliberal freedom much the same way that Douglas's idea of popular sovereignty, the right of white citizens in Western territories to put slavery up to a vote, represented the viewpoint-neutral option of his time. It's a very keen observation. The effect of both is the same, to create a populace indifferent to advancing evil. Supporters of Drag Queen Story Hour aim to break the American spirit, will, and self-understanding as people whose liberty is properly ordered toward natural and eternal goods. Under the subheading now, um, Sex, Marriage, and the American Founding, French and Miller's stances are a clear rejection of the type of civil society the American founders had in mind. As Matthew J. Peterson has noted... America was not founded as a form of libertarian liberalism with an intentionally naked or neutral public square. For the majority of founders, liberty was not merely the absence of external coercion. Instead, it was the proper ordering of one's life toward temporal goods, life, liberty, family, work, education, friendship, justice, and eternal goods, religious worship, knowledge of God, Christian fellowship, a virtuous soul, eternal happiness, as understood by reason and revelation, and supported by robust civil laws. These goods, known collectively as the common good, placed restraints upon individual rights and acted as a bulwark against the actions that violated the rights of others or harmed these human goods. 
America was founded according to an overwhelming Christian conception of natural law and natural rights that sought to protect the life, liberty, and safety of all, while also pursuing the nobler ends of political justice and genuine happiness. At the time of the founding, sex, gender, marriage, and the family were thought to be grounded upon the laws of nature and necessary to safeguard the vitality of the American civilization. There's no evidence from 18th century political and moral literature that these goods were thought to be endlessly adaptable or that marriage was anything other than a monogamous and exclusive heterosexual relationship. Laws against sex outside of marriage, prohibitions on sodomy and bestiality, laws against polygamy and divorce, and attempts to tamp down prostitution, public indecency, and obscenity abounded. Let's not deceive ourselves. The ideology behind Drag Queen Story Hour seeks to undermine, overthrow, and replace the founding vision of a moral and virtuous people governing themselves according to natural principles of morality and justice. By contrast, those pushing Drag Queen Story Hour are working to establish a new regime built upon the lasciviousness, the, the, the lascivious desires of its erotically cultivated subjects endlessly pursuing even greater depths of perversion and degeneracy. Pundits like David French and Paul Miller may think they are preserving peace, forestalling social conflict, and helping conservatives win religious liberty cases. Yet because, they're because of their confusion, they are de facto apostles for Drag Queen Story Hour and are actively helping to sanction its demonic progress. They must be resisted and discredited by American patriots who retain the spirit and political willingness to fight for the country and the people they love. Well, that sounds great, Mr. Crenshaw. I think that that's a very savvy critique of Miller and French. And it's a very, very spot-on critique of what Drag Queen Story Hour is. These people mean to subvert your civilization and destroy it because they're monsters who are doing evil. It's very good that you observe that. Now, class, I wonder, I'm going to look at the chat, too, when I ask you this question, okay? I'm going to look on Odyssey and Rumble, at least. I want you to tell me if you noticed what was missing from Mr. Crenshaw's piece there. Anybody want to tell me at 217-688-1433, or you can say it in the chat on Rumble or on, uh, or on Odyssey, okay? Let's see here. Hey, Campbell, you interviewed that yada, yada, yada. Free speech, absolutum, WTF. Eh. Anyway, all right, so that is not a response to my question in any case. But hello to all of you uh, viewing on Rumble. I am looking at your chat, and I'm just letting you know that I'm reading it. And so, and uh, you guys who are on, um, you guys who are on uh, Odyssey also, I see you. Hello. And all of that good stuff. 217-688-1433. And if you don't answer me right away, that's okay. I will give you the answer in just a second. I just wanted to pause for dramatic effect and go make sure that everything was working. It's one of those things we do in radio. It's called vamping, okay? So anyway, here's what's missing from the piece, of course, is that he doesn't actually propose a solution to this. That you may have gathered. That he's like, okay, Drag Queen Story Hour is destroying America, and these guys are standing up for Drag Queen Story Hour, and they must be resisted. Okay. So when do we start putting Drag Queen Story Hour in prison? When do we do that, huh? When do we start getting these people fired from their jobs? When do they, when are they afraid to do this, Mr. Crenshaw? 
Well, the answer is they're not, right? He's just like, well, I'm going to voice my objection to it because I would never dream of violating their freedom of speech. I'm just going to I'm just going to sort of posit that it's not freedom of speech. And so, you know, and then we'll move on from there. But then I can go and I can tell all my friends that I really stood up for this important issue because I care about those kids. And I'm sure that the guy is meaning, well, I'm not trying to attack the guy. I mean, at least he went as far as he did, right? But like, no, like you want to do a drag queen story hour, you got to go to jail, okay? If you want to say, hey, let's bring the kids over. Let's bring the kids over and show them about uh, cross-dressing and pornography. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say, look, um, you know, in, in the law, in criminal law, it's not unusual to ban precursors as a matter of fact drugs are a great example okay so like you can't you you might know it's illegal to possess methamphetamine you're probably aware of that and i'm not saying it stops everybody but it, you know it keeps it from being on the shelves at target or whatever with the tuck friendly swimsuits okay so you can go to target you can buy a tuck friendly swimsuit but you can't buy methamphetamine all right and so you know we're we're working on it okay and so, or they're working on it, I should say. We're not. <laughs> we got to start working on it. Okay? So, um, you can't buy methamphetamine at, uh, you know, 7-Eleven. I mean, not inside, anyway. But you also can't buy, like, precursors to methamphetamine, right? Like, we banned the precursor chemicals. You can't buy, I don't know, I don't know the recipe, I'm just saying. You know, methylamine or whatever, Okay? <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I watched Breaking Bad, okay? Stop, stop, stop. Don't get accusatory. I'm, I'm, I'm a talk show host, not a drug dealer today. And so what I'm getting at is that there's precursor chemicals that you can't purchase because they'll create methamphetamine. We do the same thing for fentanyl. Like, you know, part of the fentanyl problem, and we also have something called analogs, right? So one of the big problems with fentanyl, I, there was a great book I read. The author escapes me off the top of my head. Great book I read called Fentanyl Inc. Okay, I-N-C, not I-N-K. It's not about tattoos. Fentanyl Inc. was like all about um, not just fentanyl, but like the synthetic cannabinoids, which, by the way, is like that stuff runs rampant through the prisons now. The synthetic opioids generally, but the fentanyls in particular, were this like catastrophe because what people were doing was it's a synthetic drug. So like chemistry wizards are like, okay, they banned that. So I'll create basically the same thing, but I'll add another carbon atom, you know, on the tail end of this thing here. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do what, um, you know, Walter White does in Breaking Bad. I'm just saying. So I understand this much of it that you can slightly alter it and then it still has a similar effect. Okay. And what they referred to these things as in the war on drugs, they call this or in drug laws, I won't use the stupid derogatory term war on drugs. You get the idea. The there's a there's a law that like if you make something that's chemically similar that serves the same purpose, it's the same thing in the law. Okay? And that's what we call the Analogs Act. And what they started doing was like, okay, well, they make this you have these precursor chemicals. They're not importing the drug from China. They're importing the precursors. So we'll ban the precursors, right? So there's this whole, like, category of stuff. Like, we're like, hey, we really want to prevent the fentanyl thing. And so we're going to do all of the things that surround the fentanyl thing are now illegal. All right? We have to do that with child molestation, too. Do you understand? 
So like when people are like, I got an idea, I'm going to go rape kids. And we're like, no, like you can't, you definitely can't be raping kids. And they're like, oh, I guess I'll stop then. You know, if that was what they did, then fine. But if what you realize is that they're doing is like, well, maybe if I could get the child to consent, then it wouldn't really be rape. And then, you know, then we can start having a discussion about when they're able to conceive, consent and stuff like this. And so if I want the child to consent, then I should probably start teaching about sex really early. Because if he's like, sex, what's that? And I'll be like, well, I'll show you right now. You start trying to sexualize the children. That's the purpose of Drag Queen Story Hour. There is not another legitimate purpose, right? You know, there are precursor chemicals that you can't buy because they can be used to produce fentanyl. Unless, of course, you go to the DEA and you say, hey, I actually need this for this other purpose. And you say, and you have to say, you know, what your other purpose is. You sure I have to, like, provide some evidence of this in order to get licensed to buy these chemicals. Well, I'd go so far as to say that that's actually pretty reasonable. So, okay, if you could tell me a good reason for Drag Queen Story Hour, if there's some reason, there's, there's a legitimate reason for you to run around showing kids your sexual degenerate behavior... Well, then by all means, we'll give you a license for your drag queen story hour. I would go ahead and posit that there is no benefit to the child. The entire purpose is to gratify the deviant, okay? And so, no, that is not a good excuse. You don't get a license for your drag queen story hour. Now, if you want to go and say, hey, I need to tell kids about drag queens because drag queens are a threat to their safety. And so I want to show them what a drag queen is. I'm like, here's your license. Go ahead, you know. You want to show them a video of a drag queen story hour and be like, look at those monsters. And the kids are like, yeah, I don't want to be around them. And that's great. You can have a license to do that all day, pal. But we have to start doing like precursor and analog laws regarding child molestation. Okay. We do pornography, right? You can't have child pornography rightly. And, and like just the mere possession of it, you know, uh, uh, child porn possession, by the way, is not a specific intent crime. It's like, you have this stuff. Like, you're in a lot of trouble, okay? You don't have to, like, get caught fapping to it or whatever. I shouldn't say that on the show, but you get the idea. Like, it, you, it's not, you don't have to be, like, convicted of enjoying this. You just be in possession of it. And you're in a lot of trouble. And that presents problems, you know, in, like, data centers and stuff. You're like, well, am I going to get in trouble if I, like, you know, I, you know, whatever. Not what we need to get into. But it's like the, it's the plutonium of the internet. You don't want anything to do with this, right? Well, you got to do the same thing, you know? You have to make people like three or four steps away from the, the problem. They are afraid. You know, uh, Facebook and Twitter previously, they were all concerned with what they called borderline content, okay? Borderline content. That like, okay, maybe you're not, you know, running around throwing Romans and, and, and waving swastikas, but we like kind of understand that. What you're doing is sort of what's going to lead someone down to racist hate speech, right? And so for that reason, you know, Facebook's going to intervene, whether they're just depressing you algorithmically or whether they're going to ban you from the platform or whether, you know, or whether they're going to frame you for a crime and the FBI is going to drag you, drag you out of your house at three o'clock in the morning and send you to prison for three years, whatever it may be. They're like, yeah, you borderline content. We're going we're gonna to stop that, okay? We're not going to let you get to that point. Well, Facebook understands this. The left completely understands it. They're like, anybody who's moving in the direction of our political opponents, it's like a major problem. We're definitely not going to let that happen. But you've got people on the right who are like, well, you know, if they're going to have drag queen story hour, they're going to have to do it at a private library. 
I don't want the government to subsidize Drag Queen Story Hour. So I think that when you do your Drag Queen Story Hour, you know, maybe you ha- do it at your house. Okay, do Drag Queen Story Hour on your own property uh, where I don't have to pay for it, okay? And, uh, you know, whatever, if I got to pay for you to live and I'm paying for your drugs and I'm paying for your rent, you know, whatever, I'm not going to get into that. Just do Drag Queen Story Hour in your house. And if you don't do it at the public library, well, then I guess I have no right to complain anymore. Okay, pal. You know, you see how well that works out for you. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And wait until the last I have to. So please do give us a call. Let me see. Uh, let me pull up some uh, some other news. Preferably, uh, maybe I'll find something with, uh, with a, a little audio clip so I can step away from you for a second. Um, this guy, uh, Sam Brinton, got arrested again, if you could believe that. <laughs> see, this is what happens. When you don't stop Drag Queen Story Hour, what happens is transgender people get in charge of the nukes, okay? They're, they become nuclear weapons, not nuclear weapons, but nuclear waste inspectors, okay? So what you have is you have non-binary individuals, people who are like, are you a man or a woman? They're like, what do you mean? That's not, that's, that's transphobic. And you're like, all right, I guess you can handle the nuclear waste, pal. And then you're like, okay, just like handle the nuclear waste. Just be honest. And he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to be honest, dude. What are you talking about? And then he gets caught stealing luggage over and over and over and over again. It wasn't like he did it and he got caught and then he stopped. He's a, he's a, he just like, this is the reason that he gets on airplanes, apparently. Like, he's like, this is what he does for a living. He gets on airplanes. He's like, oh, well, you know, let's see what the bargain flights are. And then he gets on the airplane and he's like, oh, these suckers, they just leave their luggage where I could steal it. Well, I'll teach them to be trusting of the other people in their society. We're going to stop that nonsense. And so he runs around stealing luggage and he's just been arrested again. Now, he was facing, like, years. Like, he could have, he's been charged with grand larceny already, okay? You could do, like, eight... I think he was facing up to eight years on two different charges. He could have spent 15, 16 years in prison. And the judge is like, okay, well, you know what? You're a good boy. What? A, I'm sorry, I didn't... You know, you're a good they. Um, because you're a good they, and you've been handling our nuclear waste so well, and you work for the Biden administration, and I don't want to get shot in my face when I leave this courthouse... You know, I'm going to let you go, okay? Just you better stop stealing luggage. And he's like, okay, Your Honor, I'll stop stealing luggage. (laughs) And sure enough, he leaves there, gets on an airplane, steals the luggage. And so he's been arrested again, which I find profoundly amusing. I mean, I don't want to laugh at anybody getting their luggage stolen, but I just think it's funny that, you know, this, this society's really like that much falling apart that we're like, okay, yeah, you keep on stealing luggage. Just, you know, be careful with the... Just be careful with the nuclear waste, okay? And so that happened. And then there's other things. Hang on a second. Let me, um... What's up here? Let me do this. Pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. And so... Huge Postal Service releases final report. Contract driver Jesse Morgan vindicated... That is, uh... That's not that. Oh, we'll do this. I got an idea. This probably has a clip of James Comey talking. And that's a great idea. So we're going to play a clip from James Comey being stupid. Or any of these even go to trial. How concerning is that to you? Okay, so James Comey, you probably know, okay? James Comey is a crook, and he used to run the FBI. He's part of the problem, of course, right? And so apparently he thinks he, well, I'm not saying he actually believes it, right? But he says 
that he thinks that like, oh, well, you know, if Trump gets elected, he's going to weaponize the Justice Department. (laughs) And so he had this interview with Jen Psaki. Sorry about that, Mike. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break the microphone. I got to get another one. Hang on a second. Jen Psaki. So Jen Psaki, she used to work for the Biden administration. Now she works at MSNBC, which is basically the same thing. But she, you know, she probably gets paid more and she gets asked less difficult questions or whatever. And so she works at MSNBC and she's like, well, Mr. Comey, I'm uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to hold you accountable for your government role. No, she didn't do anything of the sort. So they had an interview and let's listen to the audio. Concerning to a prosecutor leading an investigation and to the FBI, mm-hmm. because despite history, we desperately don't want to be involved in election time investigations mm-hmm. and near them. And so they are feeling something else that won't be talked about publicly, but I just know the system. Mm. They're feeling intense pressure to move, to move, to move. So they're not in the position of making a charging decision next year when when Donald Trump may be the nominee. So I think they are likely working very, very hard and trying to get ahead of where the even the normal pace of an investigation might be. Can you envision a scenario where Trump manages to win back the White House and justice is delayed? I could. I don't. I don't want to, but I could. I mean, it's this crazy world that Donald Trump has dragged this country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention. And could be wearing an ankle bracelet and be elected in November. Yeah, we could have, it would be rejected if you put it in a script for a show, but you could have a president who is potentially incarcerated when he's elected president. So that would be weird and awkward and it seems even crazy to be coming out of my mouth but that's the situation we face it looks like the republicans will likely nominate someone who is under serious criminal investigation is indicted and who knows where that's going to lead us but if he is elected and sworn in as 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 a president would they pause would the would the precedent be that they pause uh, activity or or consideration of these legal cases or is that up to the jurisdiction of the law enforcement officials at the time. Yeah, there's no precedent whatsoever that I'm aware of. We've never contemplated uh, electing again someone like Donald Trump, and so I don't know what would happen. It's The federal government doesn't control the Manhattan DA or the Fulton County DA, and so none of the normal traditions and norms around respecting the office of the presidency and not distracting the president with criminal charges at the federal level, none of those would be implicated. And I can't imagine a circumstance where the Department of Justice wouldn't, if they're going to charge him, wouldn't have done it so far in advance that we'd have a resolution before he took office. So do it in time to so do it this summer. Not that you don't have insight into this, but do it this summer. That would mean that they could complete the cases before he were to take he would take office. Yes, I don't know anything, obviously, but I would predict your summer will be don't plan any long vacations as a journalist. You've said that Trump poses a near existential threat to the rule of law. And and this is something similar language that I hear privately from national security officials, some people you and I both know who will say this privately about what a second term could mean. But tell me a little bit about the specifics of what he could try to do. What do you mean by that? Well, think about what four years of a retribution presidency might look like. He could order the investigation and prosecution of individuals who he sees as enemies. I'm sure I'm on the enemies list. Because the president constitutionally does oversee the executive branch entirely, which includes the Department of Justice, prosecutors and investigators. And so he could commission direct that individuals be pursued. 
he could also direct all kinds of other conduct that people would maybe take to court to try to stop. But who enforces court orders? Mostly the United States Marshals Service, which is in part of the executive branch and reports to the president. And so President Trump could say, I don't care what the Supreme Court says or these district judges say. I'm telling the Marshals Service, don't enforce the court order. And so our Constitution really does give a rogue president, which is what this would be, tremendous power to destroy. And so that's why I'm trying to warn people. Given the way he said he intends to operate if he's reelected, this will be something we could never have imagined. Again, it seems like science fiction in a way, but it's what another four years of Donald Trump really promises, which is why people criticize CNN for their town hall. I want the American people to stare at the threat that we're facing and understand that they cannot take the next election off. You were a Republican most of your life, uh, but voted for, and you may still consider yourself one, but voted for Biden in 2020. Do you intend to vote for him again, or is there anyone on the Republican side you might consider if it's not Trump? It has to be Joe Biden. <laughs> and, and I'm glad he's willing to serve. It has to be somebody committed to the rule of law, committed to the values of this country. And I, I'm not talking about policy. People can disagree about policy. There are things above those disagreements that all of us should think about the same way. The president must be someone who abides the law and our constitution. And there's no one else but Joe Biden. One of the focuses that seems to have faded from the headlines is the threat of Russia uh, intervening in our... Intervening in our... Okay, well... Russia, 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 because, you know, you wouldn't want to start talking to him about the Russia hoax. He was involved in that, and uh, you got to cut that clip pretty short. I am i don't think that that's actually, because the story, I believe, I, I gave you the clip, I think it was actually from the uh, from the Daily Caller. Let me go back over there. I was looking at uh, the chat here, and um, uh, somebody says, I hate defending the great orange... Um, uh, What's the word that I want to use on Surreal Politics to describe this? The great orange shorts fanner of peoples who uh, are sort of disreputable, you might have But sometimes you really want to see him screw these slimy um, backsides up. Okay? You get the idea. And I totally, 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 what do you mean sometimes, right? You sometimes are like, you know what, Trump would make these people pretty unhappy, but, you know, why don't I just let them have Biden, you know? I'll just let them, you know what, James Comey wants Biden, let him have him. You know, eventually he'll come to regret it when, like, his kids can't walk out of the house or whatever, and so I'm just going to let them have another four years with Biden in the White House because I would get no enjoyment, you know, Trump, eh, you know, he didn't build the wall after all, right? Trump, there's still illegal immigrants in this country. And so the fact that, like, I walked down the street and I saw a brown person yesterday, I'm done with that Trump guy. So I'm just going to let them have Biden for another four years. You people are crazy, okay? You listen to that guy, he's like, it's got to be Biden. We need somebody who has respect for the rule of law. <laughs> now, mind you, okay? The rule of law is like you get a subpoena, right? You ever, you ever, you might have had, the, you might have gone through this before. You know, I did. I went through this. You ever had a subpoena before? So the, the, what a subpoena is, a subpoena says, subpoena ducis tecum. I, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but I've read it, okay? 
So subpoena ducis tecum means produce under penalty of law. Okay, you're required to do what the subpoena says. That's the whole point of it, right? And so there's the, you know, this is the guy's the former FBI director who tried to uh, hoax the country with the, with the Russia nonsense, right? And he says, well, you know, if Trump gets in charge of that Justice Department, he might do something like they accuse us of doing, not that we ever did it. So we got to make sure that that doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, it's just going to have to be Biden because Biden respects the rule of law. Now, you, if you pay attention to the news, you might know. Now, Christopher Wray, he's in charge of the FBI now. And Trump put him there because he got bad advice, I, I'd go so far as to say. And so Christopher Wray is in charge of the FBI. And Christopher Wray is in, is in possession of information, which seems to suggest that Joe Biden has taken a... Uh, a bribe in order to change a policy position. And so um, the Congress is understandably interested to know if the president has been paid off by foreign powers. Now, if you understand anything about our form of government, that's actually like a pretty prudent thing for the Congress to care about. Okay. It's not like, uh, hey, uh, um, we need to know all the uh, phone numbers of all your son's drug dealers, okay? The Congress doesn't have time to figure out who's been selling crack to Hunter Biden. What we want to know is how Hunter Biden, who has no marketable talents, has money to buy crack and property and all of these other things while he hides them from the, uh, from the woman that he impregnated uh, at the strip club. Okay? And so the Congress, being what they are, is like we issue a subpoena, a subpoena ducis tecum, which means if you don't do what we say, it's illegal, okay, FBI director. And you think the FBI director, he's like, well, I'm, I'm Dudley Do-Right. I am the law, and so I'm going to go ahead and do whatever the Congress says because that's what's required of me, and Joe Biden's my boss. And you just heard James Comey say it, that Joe Biden has respect for the rule of law. And so the FBI director is like, why don't you shove that subpoena up your, you know, is basically, he didn't say it in those words. He's like, oh, well, I understand that I'm legally required or whatever, but I'm definitely not going to do that, you know. And the Congress is like, well, that's not how this works, right? We're the Congress, okay? We pay, we allocate the money to the FBI. We tell the FBI what to do through something called legislation, and then the FBI does it. And if they don't, then they get prosecuted. OK. And so Christopher Ray is like, no. And the Congress, this doesn't work this way. And he's like, no. And they're like, OK, well, we're going to hold you in contempt. Because he has information that seems to suggest that there's an informant that it can link Joe Biden to like an actual straight up deal. OK. Now, I mean, it's obvious that he was doing this. You, if you know anything about it, I don't mean to. I'm not going to stay on this for very long. You probably already know if you know anything about politics. That like, okay, the Biden family received like millions of dollars from these people overseas. And Joe Biden is like fabulously wealthy, but he's like been in Congress his whole life. And like, you know, I mean, you know, you can make a lot of money in Congress, just not in Congress. You, know, you make money outside of Congress by being a crook is kind of the idea. And so and Joe Biden's fabulously wealthy. Like you wouldn't, how many, how many of Joe Biden's books have you read? Exactly. Okay. Now, Bernie Sanders, another story, Bill, Bernie Sanders, a millionaire. You know, Bernie Sanders used to run around screaming, the millionaires and billionaires. If you listen to him now, he's like, well, I guess maybe it's inflation. Maybe it's because he's a millionaire, whatever it is. He runs around now. He just says the billionaires, 
maybe to tr- maybe to the billionaires and trillionaires. I don't know if he says trillionaires, but he doesn't complain about millionaires anymore because he is one. Okay, but Joe Biden and and but the reason that uh, Bernie Sanders is a, a, a millionaire is because he sold books. He well, I mean, he probably stole too, but I don't know. I, I have no information that Bernie Sanders stole. I do know that Bernie Sanders is like a very successful author. Okay, so Bernie Sanders sold books, and then he's like, "Here's the money that I made from the books." Okay. And it makes sense because there are a lot of stupid people in this country who would buy a Bernie Sanders book, so whatever. But Joe Biden, how many books did uh, how many books did Joe Biden write? If he's written any, you don't know about them, I'm certain. And so, so that's that. Um, and so, there's that. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. Somebody sent me a super chat, and a super chat said, "I am applying for a license to teach children about the global." Um, degenerate movement and how to avoid it. Now, that's not the word that he used. And I think I could probably use the word that he used, but, you know, I'm, uh, you only sent me $3, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> 217-688-1433, if you would like to be on the program. And I'm going to tell the last I have to, so please give us a call. So Joe Biden really cares about the rule of law is what James Comey says, and James Comey would say that because James Comey is a lying crook, Okay. Um, a real Tony Soprano says 1433 great show today well, he didn't say 1433 he sent me $14.33 and I really appreciate that and he said um, great show today Chris well that's that's I appreciate that too Tony thank you very much I, I, it's very high praise and so let's see 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program and so he thinks that uh, Joe Biden really cares about the law. And that's pretty funny, because if you believe that, you're a moron. Um, you know who's not a moron? And I mean, you, you would like to think that they are, because they do these things that are just so disconnected from the world. You would like to think that the people over at the Southern Poverty Law Center are very stupid, right? Because they do things that an intelligent person would not do if they were trying to improve their society, right? But they are intelligent, and they don't want to improve society because they're criminals, all right? And that's what the Southern Poverty Law Center is, SPLC. It's not Southern. It has nothing to do with poverty. There's a lot of law fare, and uh, there's there's some centralization to it, but they're criminals. So, like, they're kind of like James Comey. They're like, I really think that Joe Biden really cares about the rule of law. That's the sense in which they use law center. Is that we're a bunch of this is where we this is where we plot our crimes. I think is what they mean to say. And so, in late April, the Southern Poverty Law Center and Tulchin Research conducted a poll of 1,500 Americans to examine the extent to which the extremist beliefs and narratives that mobilize the hard right have been absorbed by the wider American public. Now, I just want to point out, this is gonna, I'm probably going to have to say it again. I, I, I shouldn't even say it now, but I just can't help myself. So, like, the extreme beliefs, um, when they are absorbed by the wider American public, as a matter of fact, they cease to be extreme beliefs, okay? Extreme is actually um, a, a measurement of popularity, okay? Now, you know, I, I, there's counter-arguments to this, I understand. But... Like, when you're talking about the fringes, and you're like, oh, well, half the population believes this fringe thing. Well, no, as a matter of fact, it's no longer fringe, at least. You want to say it's extreme, I guess, you know, you could play with your definitions a little bit. But when everybody actually catches on to what it is that you crooks are doing, it's no longer a conspiracy theory. It's like, 
you know, it's what people view. It's the mainstream view, as a matter of fact. But the Southern Poverty Law Center is like, well, you know, you disagree with us. That means that you're a fanatic. Okay, so if you're not pushing drag queen story hour and open borders, you're obviously a Nazi. And that's what we put on the pages of our website. It doesn't matter how numerically popular you are. Um, going back to the article here, we found that the ideas underpinning the white nationalist great replacement narrative recently cited by an alleged white supremacist terrorist in Buffalo, New York, have become thoroughly mainstream on the political right. Nearly seven in 10 Republicans agree to at least some extent that demographic changes in the United States are deliberately driven by liberal and progressive politicians attempting to gain political power by replacing more conservative white voters. Across the political spectrum, we found substantial support for threatening or acting violently against perceived political opponents. Now, as a matter of fact, what's interesting here, I just discovered that this is not a piece from June of this year. This is a piece from June of last year. And that's why they're talking about the recent shooting in Buffalo. It's like, did another guy go shooting in Buffalo? There's no way I missed a white supremacist shooter. That would have definitely come across my news fees. And so, and, and then we'd obviously have found out that he was like, he was Hispanic or whatever. We also uncovered a widespread feeling, especially among right-leaning Americans, that transgender people and gender ideology pose a threat to children and society at large. Oh, you don't say. These anti-LGBTQ, misogynistic, and racist narratives have been promoted by many Republican politicians and other powerful right-wing figures, helping the ideas infiltrate the mainstream and contributing to an increasingly volatile and dangerous political environment. Okay. Um, one does not infiltrate the mainstream, okay? The mainstream is not... I understand that, like, you people deem yourselves the conservators of acceptable opinion. But that's not how the mainstream works, right? The mainstream is the population, all right? Now, I understand you guys want a different population or whatever. I get it. I understand that. But what I'm getting at is that when the population believes something, it's not an infiltration. This is not a sub this is not a bunch of like foreigners sneaking up on you and being like, ha, 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 ha. well, we're gonna go work at the Southern Poverty Law Center and pretend there were a bunch of left wing fanatics who go to synagogue on Saturdays, and then we're gonna go in there and we're gonna uh, and we're gonna vote for right wing stuff. It's not an infiltration. It's the population saying that you're a bunch of crooks. Okay, they're like, hey, wait a second. We know that there's no good reason for you to keep on letting these people in 100,000 a day or, you know, a couple hundred thousand a month, whatever it is. Tens of thousands of people every month at the minimum. <clears throat> there's obviously a reason that you're doing it, and it's not to help these people. They're being raped and murdered, and, like, all these terrible things are happening to them. Don't tell me that you're trying to help these poor migrants. That's obviously not what you're doing. So why are you doing it? Oh, you know, it gains you political power at my expense? Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, well, you're peddling the great replacement. You said the same thing as that mass murderer. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, you keep on doing it, and there's going to be more mass murderers saying it, so you better stop, you know? I'm not saying, I'm just saying. The SPLC survey was not designed to simply measure prejudice or bigotry. Instead, we set out to examine to what degree in certain groups... People in certain groups feel threatened or persecuted by members of a defined outgroup. Oh, well, which outgroup would you be defining? I will not examine. The belief that one group of people is inherently harmful to your own is a foundational to extremism. (laughs) 
I'm gonna. I need a second. Excuse me for. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Sorry, sorry about that. So, oh, the idea that um, there's one out group that's uh, very um, um, a threat to your safety. Well, that's uh, that's a foundational point of extremism, don't you say? All right. So um, maybe uh, there's a lot of angles I could go in here, and a lot of them would, you know, kind of defeat the purpose of surreal politics. But you know. Maybe what I should say is that they should stop blaming white people for things. That's probably, it's become a point where we're fortunate, I'd say. I think that we're very fortunate that our progressive, our politics have progressed to a point, not progressed in like the, you know, sense of like progressive, like left wing, like these people think of progress, that your, your children are their sex slaves. I mean, like progressed in the sense that you can, like, there's truth that you can, you can't tell the truth, but there are truths that you can utter now, which is, you know, huge improvement over when I, when I lost internet access, okay, so I think that at this point, you can say that, like, the people at the Southern Poverty Law Center, they're always blaming white people, and since they appear to be white, that that's exceedingly suspicious, unless you start understanding what that means, and they seem to be very, very concerned about people who view a single outgroup as a threat to their safety. And they say, well, anybody who believes that is very clearly an extremist. <laughs> the belief that one group of people is inherently harmful to your own is foundational to extremism, as is the idea that the well-being and survival of the in-group depends on taking hostile action against those who supposedly threaten it. Well, you know. The man allegedly responsible for the shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, for example, argued that Jews, oh, well, oh, immigrants and Latinos, all three of these people, uh, in addition to the black people he targeted, posed an existential threat to the white race, leading him to conclude that fighting is the only way. Hostile actions against an outgroup can take the form of violence like terrorist attacks, but it can also include conduct like abusive language or discriminatory or dehumanizing le legislation. Okay, so <clears throat> now you might have heard me talk about um, the subject of persuasion historically, right? I also uh, I, I did an epic. Uh, oh, I did this on another program where I, I titled the episode persuasive and I talked about Robert Cialdini and I've been wanting to do more of that discussion here, but we'll get to it. In any case, this is a, this is a tactic, okay? So it begins, the paragraph is like, well, racism, okay? And then they're like, then there's this criminal that's been recently in the news, and he murdered people, and you know that murder is bad, conservative, right? You're a conservative. You don't, you're not okay with murder, right? And you're like, no, I don't like murder. What are you talking about? You want to take And they're like, okay, so now that we understand that you don't like murder— we understand that racism leads to murder, and then murder leads to legislation, and so you wouldn't dare talk about passing a law that we don't like, right? And the conservatives are like, well, no, I wouldn't want to do that. I'm not trying to kill anybody. And then, and then they're like, they, and then they go home, and they're like, wait, what, what just happened? Did they really get me to do that? Is that really what happened? That's what they're doing. And if you fall for it, you deserve what you get. Now, if you're in Congress and you fall for it, I don't deserve what, what I get out of that, as a matter of fact, though. So you're not allowed to fall for that if, you, if you're running for office. In addition to extremist narratives, our survey looked at levels of partisanship, tolerance for anti-democratic actions, 
and expressions of approval for different kinds of political violence. And what we found was a great deal of hostility for people on the other side of the political aisle. Oh, you don't say. A great deal of hostility for people on the other side of the political aisle. Huh? You're measuring people's um, attitudes about political violence. And you're like, wow, when the other side commits violence, how do you feel about that? And the other side's like, I, I tend to frown on it, actually. And they're like, wow, you must be an extremist. Um, you don't like racial justice protests, huh? Don't you know that despite the fires, they were mostly peaceful? Haven't you been watching CNN, you racist? A majority of both Republicans and Democrats believe that their political opponents pose a threat to the country and want to harm their political opponents. That kind of animosity could fuel partisan violence, a possibility that our results suggest we should take seriously. Well, if you take them seriously, then maybe you should stop trying to associate the Republican Party with mass murderers in Buffalo supermarkets. You ever think of that, Southern Poverty Law Center? Of course you did. But you want political violence because you're a bunch of criminals. <laughs> I don't know why the Republicans think of us as a threat. We're just endorsing race riots. <laughs> I don't, you know, we're just endorsing race riots. You guys are the ones disavowing the mass shooters. So, you know, you guys are criminals. I don't know, you know, you guys are dangerous. I don't know what you're talking about. When we asked respondents if they approved of threatening or assassinating a politician, for example, roughly one in five said they at least somewhat approved. Now, I would like to see, I know that there's been surveys about this from time to time. And I mean, I think it's probably somewhat different in America because anybody who like sort of like fetishizes, I don't want to say fetishize, that's, that's like a drag queen story hour thing. You know, I think that um, anybody who has a certain appreciation for American history has fond attitudes about the American Revolution, let's say, right? And if you read about the history of this country, what you're reading is like the propaganda of the revolution. That they're like, look, yes. Of course we have to kill these people, you know? The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood, the blood of patriots and tyrants, you know? And that was from after they took over the government. They're like, yeah, so what? Every once in a while, the people rise up, they kill us. It happens 20 years, whatever. You know, they didn't feel about it that way when, when it actually happened. They killed everybody, but you get the idea. But people basically have, in America, I think, there's an acceptance that political violence at a certain point is a legitimate expression because to say otherwise would be to delegitimize the government, right? We're founded in blood and revolution. I think probably that's probably the case for most places, but most governments have the good sense to, you know, kind of like, we're not going to talk about that revolution stuff anymore, okay, kids? All right? Get that revolution stuff out of your head now that we're in charge now. In America, they were like, look, you could keep your guns, you could talk about revolution, but if you stand up to us, we're going to kill you, okay? That's how we did it here. And it worked out pretty well for like 200 years, you know. 200 years, not bad. If you think about it. While levels of support for threats and violence generally do not, do not differ substantially among partisans, Republicans are more likely to agree that, quote, some violence may be necessary to get the country back on track. The mood overall is pessimistic. 44% of Americans agree that, quote, the U.S. seems to be headed toward a civil war in the near future, including 53% of Republicans and 39% of Democrats. <clears throat> well, that makes perfect sense, right? The Democrats are like civil war. Like, <laughs> there's not going to be a government in like two weeks. We're, we're, we're 
we're engaging in the civil war right now. The other 60%, the other 61% of Democrats are Antifa and they were actively setting things on fire. They're like, what are you talking about? A civil war in the near future. We're waging a revolution as we speak. I have things to do now. You know, I only answered so that you could give me an alibi. Get out of here. Republicans are like, um, you know, you guys stole the election. I mean, we're trying, we're trying to just go along, get along. We understand. We really don't want to shoot anybody. We get it. But you're stealing the elections and you're rioting in the streets and stuff. And we just need you to like, could you just like, could you just tone it down? Okay. We're conservatives. We're, we're compromises in our nature. You can riot. You can, you can steal the election. You can call us racist names or whatever, but you just need you to keep the volume down a little bit and maybe like wait until the kids are 13 before you start taking their pants off. Okay. That's, you know, a lot of conservatives who had that point and they were like, no, 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 <laughs> no. We're going to scream racist things at your child while we, while we rape them in kindergarten. And then the conservatives are like, but I have the guns and like, I don't want to use them. And, you know, I've been I, I read all this like Thomas Jefferson stuff and the, the, like I'm starting to think that like you guys are probably not acting in my best interest. Like I, I care about my kids like I really do. And you're really going to have to wait until he's like 13. OK, and they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to give him the hormones now so that it, so that he never goes into puberty because we don't ever want this to stop. You know, and the, he's like, but I have the AR-15. They're like, we're going to take your AR-15. But if you take away my AR-15, then I won't be able to do the thing later on, which means you're going to put me in the spot where like I have to do it now. So could you please like not take my gun? And they're like, no, we're definitely going to take your gun. And we're going to rape your child, whatever. And so this is, this is like this back and forth or whatever, I guess. And that's why half of Republicans are like, you know what? I think I'm going to shoot you. Like not now, but like probably sometime in the near future. And so like, you know, you better cut it out, you know. And they're like, well, no. Half of Republicans, 53%, you know, and this is the Southern Poverty Law Center. So they're like going out of their way to make Republicans violent. But, you know, the funny thing is, they start the paragraph. While levels of support for threats and violence generally do not differ substantially among partisans. <clears throat> Isn't that like torturously worded? They're like, yeah, Republicans and Democrats, they both like violence. OK, <laughs> you know, it's, it's our, this is our American hobby is, is violence. Um, that's what they're saying in the first letter. And then they're like, but we've got to pick out this one that makes the the um, we got to make the one that makes the uh, Republicans look more violent. The, the Republicans, they say that we're going to have to use violence to get the country back on track. The Democrats, they say, we're using violence right now to destroy civilization. And you leave that part out of the equation, right? 100% of Democrats, like, let's use violence right now. Like, I have the Molotov cocktail. I'm currently setting things on fire because I hate the country being on the right track, okay? So they don't pull that question, the Southern Poverty Law Center, okay? So what they're saying is, yes, of course, the Democrats, they love violence, and they love it in at least equal numbers to Republicans. And we don't tell you what that number is. <clears throat> but we tell you that more Republicans agree with the statement that violence might be necessary to get the country back on track. Oh, well, if Republicans want to use violence to get the country back on track or think that it might be necessary, I shouldn't say want. You know, the, the interesting question would be, given that you're saying that they have roughly equal number of support for violence, but more Republicans say that they might be necessarily to use violence to get the country back on track. Well, 
then what is it that the Democrats want to use violence for, Southern Poverty Law Center? There's a lack of curiosity there. You might have gathered, you know, they're like, well, we don't actually need to ask the question like they're doing it, right? They're setting the country on fire. They're burning courthouses and killing people because they like criminals, basically. They're like, oh, well, what do you, how dare you enforce the law, Nazi? We're going to go and burn the city down, you know. Republicans think it might be necessary to use force to get the country back on track. Repub- Democrats are presently using violence every single day for the exact opposite reason. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Southern Poverty Law Center. On the right, our poll suggests a pervasive sense, not only that America has lost touch with traditional values. They put it in quotation. Traditional values. It's not going to take a traditional values. Eh but that societal change poses a threat to society and, in some cases, white Americans in particular. Whoa, wow. Ooh, they're thinking about white people specifically? (laughs) We better stop polling that question. We don't want them thinking about that stuff. They're getting in a lot of trouble. Right-leaning Americans are more likely to view movements aimed at building an equitable society including feminism and the Black Lives Matter movement is threatening. Oh, well, that's that's a pretty interesting framing of it, right? Okay, so um, the maniacs who are outside the Supreme Court screaming their heads off about their love of child sacrifice, the feminist movement, that's moving towards a more equitable society, which, by the way, is the reason that you say that we need the immigrants because the women don't want to have children anymore. And the Black Lives Matter movement, which we just got, you know, as we just pointed out, they're the Democrats who are not, who don't want to use violence to get the country back on track. They're, they're using violence every day to do the exact opposite. Those guys, they're trying to build a more equitable society. And Republicans, for some reason, they're a bunch of whack job fanatics, those Republicans, they feel threatened by that. <laughs> um. Many believe that elements of today's political environment, including the 2020 racial justice protests, um, so that, <laughs> including the 2020 racial justice protests and demographic changes, unfairly malign or threaten white people. This is combined with pervasive distrust of democratic institutions and feelings that more conservative Americans are being persecuted by the government. And the political left, each side has radically different visions of America. On the right, a large faction is invested in pushing back against pluralism and equity, while the left largely embraces those values. Our survey shows that the hard right could make a greater political gains and in the process further erode our democracy and create conditions through activism, policy, and violence. That would disproportionately harm communities that continue to be marginalized in our society. No political outcomes are inevitable because we can always cheat. But now that their views are mainstream, those extremists are the majority. We just can't allow it to happen, so we've got to bring the election. They didn't say that. But our results show that a substantial effort on the part of activists, institutions, government fraudsters... Ballot harvesters, ballot writers, ballot printers, ballot stuffers, 
Everybody who's got anything to do with ballots, we're going to need you, okay? Will be required if we hope to secure a multiracial democracy and prevent partisan violence. So I'm not going to keep on with the rest of the story because it just gets worse from there. Let's go check the chance real quick. And uh, it is 11-11. I could probably probably quit if I wanted to. But I'm going to go see if uh, you guys have sent me some money. Somebody has. Afternoon shift. This is the most high-energy surreal politics ever. Nice. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Man Animal says, something you said repeatedly um, as early as 2018 is, if the Democrats get back in power, they are going to take revenge on us. I hope the people on our end who refused to vote because of Trump's failings and somehow did not see Kamala Harris as more than enough reason to vote for Trump learned a lesson. Well, I certainly hope they figured that out, too. The evidence seems to be that they have not learned anything from it. Um, That's, you know, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, right? I should, I'm not doing, I want to say here. I want to be careful with my words, not just because it's real politics, but, you know, but because it's politics, I should say. And um, I think that some people have learned. They were like, whoa, like, I totally forgot what it was like to be under a Democrat government, you know. And I was like, I didn't. You know, should I, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it, as a matter of fact. I am, I am going to do it. Hang on a second. Let me plug this thing in. I'll go play a little message for Ted Cruz supporters. Now, I'm going to tell you, okay, those of you who are watching a live video, those of you who are listening to the live audio, when I do the show, I try very hard not to curse, okay? I try I try hard, okay? And I do a pretty good job of not coicing, okay? Which is, I should let you know, like, actually is not easy for me, okay? I used to have signs all over my house that said, stop saying F, and it didn't just say F. It said the whole thing which is, like, dumb if you think about it. It's not even, like, good, like, psychology. You've got the word right in front of you, and you're like, don't say that word. You're like, what word? Right? So anyway, it was an exercise that I embarked upon at some point in the course of my career to try to do this less on my uncensored show, in any case, because people were like, it's gratuitous. It's like every other word, you know? Anyway, so what what I mean to tell you is this. I'm going to play a little bit of a video here. What is... I'm hearing like, it's almost like there's another microphone. What's going on here? Boom, 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 boom. What is going on here? Well, I'm going to have to troubleshoot my audio at the show. The point that I'm trying to make here is that I'm going to play a video called A Message for Ted Cruz Supporters. And I don't know if there's an F-bomb in it is what I'm trying to get at, okay? There might be. There's probably, I'm reasonably confident there's not like a bunch of racial epithets in here. So we've got that going for us. But there might be an S, there might be an F. I'm going to play it. It's six minutes long. And uh, and we'll see what happens. We're going to open this with VLC Media Player. Because, you know, why would I use those other stupid things? Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I'm doing this on a computer that I just set up. Excuse me a second. Hang on a second. Yeah, it's coming from my microphone. I need to, All right, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, I, I'll just play it with <laughs> Windows Media Player. 
I just reformatted this computer, and so I don't have VLC Media Player involved. And I'm like, why are you doing this? You know? Hang on a second. Now. That's right. So I turned that down. Duh. That's not it. That's it. Okay. So now I'm going to do this. Uh, a little message for Ted Cruz supporters. First, let me start off with a little message to Ted Cruz supporters. More specifically, the Ted Cruz supporters who did not support Ron Paul in 2012. If you are a Ron Paul guy in 2012, consider yourself excused from this particular admonishment. But if you opposed Ron Paul and now you're calling in to talk radio, talking about how Donald Trump is not a constitutional conservative, then do us all a favor and end your miserable life. I don't care if you do it with a rope. I don't care if you do it with a gun. Just don't waste my time with any of these plea for attention, took too many pills things, or the cliche horizontal wrist slitting like you've never heard the correct way to do this. Do it right the first time, or by all means, vote Democrat. I'm sick of having you incoherent retards in my primaries. I don't want to hear another word about Ted Cruz's constitutional credentials. If Ted Cruz gave a about the Constitution, he would not have been running around touting the USA Freedom Act as some kind of win for liberty. In case you're not familiar with that, it took the old federal surveillance model where the federal government disastrously tried to store all communication records of everyone in America and it essentially half-assed privatized it. Instead of the federal government building these massive data centers and getting their water supply cut off by the state of Utah, etc., etc., they just forced the communications carriers to store your records and give them to the federal government upon demand. Ted Cruz voted for this, and in a matter that would make George Orwell frightened, he went around simultaneously calling it a win for, vi uh, a win for privacy and saying it expanded the surveillance apparatus of the federal government. Sorry there, Teddy. You can't have it both ways. And last I checked, there was nothing in Article 1, Section 8 about compelling Verizon to spy on me for the federal government. So you people had more dirt and blood and constitutional violations on your hands going into this than Donald Trump will have at the end of his second term. If you wanted a constitutional conservative, you had Ron Paul, but Ron Paul didn't want to run around dropping depleted uranium in every third world hole you can't find on a map, and so you supported Mitt Romney and John McCain. So I'm not going to listen to your whining for one more goddamn day. All these idiots are still clinging to the foreign policy madness that gave us the Iraq war. That's what the whole Never Trump thing was about. That's what took Ted Cruz from long shot underdog to first place loser. If you want your wars and your police state and you don't even want to use it to execute the communists amongst us, then your whining about the Constitution is no better than that of Barack Obama. The Republican Party has a presidential candidate and he is going to brutalize Hillary Clinton for the next six months. And in November, you will Go to your polling place, and you will vote for him. And if you do not, then you have no more love of liberty or the Constitution than does Bernie Sanders. I will not suffer another eight years under Democrat rule. So either get on board or lock and load, because the time for Americans to start shooting was back when the first American tax collector was hired. 
We should have finished that revolution and freed mankind instead of setting up this monstrosity that rules over us today. Here's the sad truth, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't like it any more than you do. The Constitution is a dead letter. It's an ancient text written by dead men who aren't around anymore and in all likelihood had all manner of corruption in their own lives that they weren't exactly anxious to see history record. The left doesn't give a f about the Constitution. They will use every dirty, rotten trick they can conjure to destroy you. And if you use the Constitution as some kind of excuse not to brutalize your enemies, then you're not a principled conservative. You're a f The modern electoral process is the only shred of supposed adherence to that document that still exists. And understand something, the smart money is on ending that process too. We don't need better or fairer elections. We need to end elections. This whole democracy thing, whether you call it a republic or not, is overrated. Someone with balls is on their way to the highest office on planet Earth. And if all he does for the next eight years is remind Democrats that government is a violent monster, then that's just fine with me. If he buys the genetic integrity of the United States a little bit more time, even better. But if you weren't a Ron Paul supporter, don't talk to me about constitutions. We had a referendum on that subject in 2012, and you voted against it. From that point forward, the gloves are off. The referees were executed, and there are only three objectives in front of us today. One, to defeat, permanently weaken, and ultimately destroy the left. Two, stop the systemic extermination of white people from planet Earth. And three, undermine the foundations of democratic government. That's it. And once we accomplish those goals, I am very happy to discuss limited versus no government, protectionism versus free trade, anarcho-capitalism versus national socialism, and yada, yada, yada. Believe me, I think those are all conversations worth having, and I consider it very important that my viewpoints win those arguments because I believe they have factual answers. But every last drop of energy that every single one of us has must be devoted to stopping Hillary Clinton in November. I, I know people say this every four years, and in some years it may have been truer than others, but this election is the most important one in mankind's history. A Clinton presidency will be our doom. We will have nothing left to fight for if she is not stopped. So all of you self-important libertarians all you Fox News zombies who think that your bruised ego is more important than our survival, either get with the program or get out of my helicopter. I remembered, I remembered that there was a, that there was an f bomb in the line about the helicopter. I, I didn't, I didn't recall it being quite that gratuitous. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I um, just judging by the reactions in the chat. It sounds like uh, it sounds like it went over pretty well with most of you. And so, <clears throat> what I'll do for you, I'm going to edit that out of the podcast because I I market this program as something that you can that you can. I don't know if you, I don't know. I talk too much probably about Drag Queen Story. I would have played at work or whatever, but <laughs> I I market it as something that you're at least not going to hear me screaming an f bomb and racial epithets the whole time. And so I got to edit that out of the podcast. But um, I'll upload the. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing at my own jokes. That's not. That's not. That's not. That's low class. Um, get out of my helicopter. 
And so, yeah, anyway, I thought that that was, uh, that was all right. So, you know, um, Afternoon Shift pointed out that <laughs> this was high energy, surreal politics. And I guess that uh, that was a fine cherry on top. So I'll just go out on that. If you're not a member, become one. Surrealpolitics.com slash join. Hey, do me a favor. Like, if you get my, if you are supposed to be getting my emails, check your spam traps, okay? I went my own inbox, my own Gmail inbox. Christopher Cantwell's Gmail got an email from Christopher Cantwell, went to the spam folder, okay? And I'm like, hey, dummy, that's me. I'm not spamming myself. What are you talking about? That's my, I own the domain. And I'm like, not spam. And they're like, okay, I'll put it in the inbox for you. But all those other guys, you know, they're not going to get it. You got to, you got to go. And as a matter of fact, do this. You really want to help me out? Um, you know, uh, there's people who love this show. A lot of you, as a matter of fact. And uh, you probably love it even more now. And so <clears throat> what you could do for me, because like, you know, basically the whole thing is being financially carried by like two people on Odyssey right now. Um, and I guess you're all broke or whatever. So, you know, it's okay. I'm not I'm not getting on your case. It's a bad economy or whatever. Joe Biden's president. What you, how the hell did you think it was going to happen? And so what I think that you might do instead of paying me, if that's a big problem, is you could go and sign up for my email list like over and over and over again. Like like you have a Outlook, you have a Gmail, you have a yada, yada, yada. Go sign up for it. And then when you get the email and it's in your spam folder, go unspam it, Okay. Go unspam it. Go say, hey, this is not spam, Microsoft. This is not spam, Google. This is not spam. You guys probably use AOL or whatever. Go, you know, whatever. Whoever you, Whoever's putting me in your spam inbox, go stop them from doing it. And if you've got an inbox that it's not coming into, go to ChristopherCantwell.net slash subscribe and SurrealPolitics.com slash newsletter. Get on the newsletter. Get it. And then when it goes into your spam folder, tell them it's not spam. Because if they keep on getting told that, then they'll stop putting it in the spam folder. Okay? You get the idea. So, anyway, do those things. Pay me, givesendgo.com slash SPM, surrealpolitics.com slash join, all that great stuff. You can send me cryptocurrency, talk radio God on Twitter. I mean, like, I make it easy. You follow me on Twitter, talk, you know, Telegram, all that stuff. Follow me. I'll lead you to fun at the very least. We're, you know, if the world ends, you know, we'll at least enjoy it. Um, and we'll be inspired. I don't know what we enjoy it, but like, we'll find inspiration in it, right? We'll be like, okay, we're going to stop it and we'll all get killed or whatever, but we'll be like, we did the right thing and it'll feel, it'll feel good, you know? And, uh, you know, just ask, ask the people at Drag Queen Story Hour, feeling good. That's all that really matters fundamentally. I'm kidding. That's not true, but, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just vamping. Okay. So anyway, pay me, join, help me with the email thing. I'll be back. I'll be back Wednesday for you guys that did join. I'll see you guys Wednesday. And by the way, so I should probably tell you this. The um, um, Odyssey, you have the option of now paying me $10 a month on Odyssey. And then you get uh, a paywall on Odyssey now. Um, uh, Tony Soprano on the uh, Odyssey, by the way, tipped another $7. Said you've got to make sure you hit the 50 mark for the show. He, Thank you very much, sir. Oh, and wait, somebody else tipped more. I better go see that because now we're at like 75 something so what happened after that um and then uh keck app i guess is the pronunciation he says just signed up for the newsletter that clip was funny thanks for playing it you're very welcome sir uh maybe next time says make it 75 three dollars thank you very much thank you see it's worth it 
sometimes I'm like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't berate these people for money, but you can't blame me for doing it if you reward me, okay? And so for the people who don't pay me when I berate them for money, you know, you see the incentives that these people create, you know. If you just paid me, if, I, if you just gave me the money, I wouldn't talk about it so much. But it works, okay? And so, oh my God, $25 from um, Real Tony Soprano. He says, F it. I should just say it. I mean, I just played that damn clip, but you get an F it $100 time. And so he knocked it over 100 bucks. And so that's fantastic. Thank you, Tony. But, you know, you're going to, if you start noticing that I say Tony afternoon shift, okay, you people who are like downloading the podcast all, you know, however many thousands of you there are, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disclose. But I am saying that thousands of people listen to the podcast, so you know that. And so however many thousand of you will listen to this thing, you don't pay me anything. Um, just at least go sign up for the email list and then get me out of your spam so that you can, so that I can help reach new people and stuff, okay? And then if I reach new people, then, then they'll be like, well, you know, that guy obviously deserves to be paid, you know, because they're, you know, they're not, they're not the freeloading people who are listening to it now. I'm just, I'm not, and by the way, I should let you know as I do that, I should like let you know that I'm very happy for you to keep on listening to the podcast if you're not paying. Okay. So anyway, um, do all those things and I'll see the paying members. We'll see you Wednesday. Oh, what I started to say before I got distracted by the shekels was you have the option now of giving me $10 a month on Odyssey. I think you would be much better off giving me $10 on surrealpolitis.com. And that's not just because I'm not just saying that because Odyssey takes the cut. I have a membership function at surrealpolitis.com. And I have to give them, like, the better deal, okay? So, like, if you're going to get a thing here or you're going to get it there, the people who are at SurrealPolitics.com, they're going to get the better deal, okay? So what I'll do is, but though, for those of you who just, like, you're like, I love Odyssey so much, I just never want to leave the Odyssey website. Okay, fine, I give you the option. Like, I'll take your money, whatever. And so I'm going to simulcast what I do on Wednesdays, which is this members-only um, video chat. We have, like, basically a video conference. <clears throat> I'm not sure that I'm going to show you the the other people I'll, I'll probably just like show you my video um but i'll i'll stream my video of the member chat and the audio of it to the members only odyssey thing that's scheduled on here right now and if twitter approves me i applied for twitter to do like a, a member thing we'll see what happens with that but you know i'm gonna i'm always gonna give this real politics members the better deal because they deserve it is kind of the idea and if you guys just really you love the other platforms or whatever i'll try to try to do something for you but i'll be back wednesday in any case for that purpose and then of course i do a, an uncensored show on friday where i don't have to go and edit the f's out when i play clips like that and so you can find out about the uncensored production at christophercantwell.net of course and uh, that, and you, you're going to do that anyway because you're signing up for the email list, and then you'll know, then you'll know about everything. And so that will solve uh, that'll solve that problem in any case. I mean, it's not going to solve it's not going to solve drag queen story or whatever. But uh, you know, we'll just we'll get we'll get Trump elected. You know, it probably won't work out, but you know, it'll make all the right people upset. And that's you know, I'm not it's not good enough. I, I'm not saying it's good enough, but like it's pretty you know, it's still pretty cool. You know, <laughs> like. When the Democrats are unhappy, right? When Democrats, when Democrats are really, when they're, when they're, when they're losing their minds and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. They're all making me sad. They're saying things that I don't like. And we're like, I'll go home and get you a finish. Oh, not again. Did I do it again? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. He said sarcastically. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. So, you know, um, so what I meant to say was, uh, 
Thank you very much for tuning into Surreal Politics. Have yourselves a wonderful evening. I'll see you soon. Isn't that music, right?